Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, February 16th, 2023. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. I commend to you at commentary.org, our March issue now up online for your perusal and reading pleasure. You can read a few things and then we make you subscribe and you should subscribe anyway so you're not a freeloader off this podcast and everything else. There, the, this is a very, very rich issue. Just going to talk about a couple of things before we get to the to the uh, to the podcast uh, topics. Um, we have uh, a remarkable piece by Saul Stern, a longtime commentator on Middle Eastern issues, called "The Truth Behind the Palestinian Quote Catastrophe." Unquote. The word catastrophe is a translation of the word Nakba. Nakba is the word used, the term used by the Palestinians to describe what happened to them upon the creation of the state of Israel in 1948. And the general idea is that uh, the Palestinians were done hard and done wrong by this catastrophe, and that ever since uh, the creation of Israel, uh, the world has understood that uh, that a, a terrible injustice was done to them. It turns out that the term Nakba comes from a book published in 1949 by a, a Lebanese scholar, and he invented the term Nakba, and what he meant by Nakba was that the creation of a Jewish state in the Middle East was a catastrophe for the Arab people, not the Palestinians, not the specific supposed dispossession of the Palestinians, but the Arab Ummah, the Arab nation, this concept of pan-Arabism that was very, very hot in the 40s to the 1960s, and that the catastrophe was this insertion of this alien force uh, that, you know, was poisoning the noble Arab lands. And and this is a, a very remarkable piece of spade work by by Saul that has meant that and then details the creation of the Nakba narrative which only really began uh 25 years ago when the uh when the Palestinian authority under Yasser Arafat had to start trying to explain why it was not moving ahead with a peace deal with Israel based on the Oslo Accords. Um, I, I commend this to you very highly. There's another piece in the in the issue by uh, Rick Richman about Bibi Netanyahu's 2015 speech before the Congress and why he delivered it and what the circumstances were of its delivery. Very, very revelatory. Eli Lake on 20 years, uh, the 20th anniversary of the beginning of the Iraq War. And... Um, Many other uh, pretty remarkable pieces of writing. <clears throat> we'll be talking about them more in the days to come. That is the March issue of Commentary at Commentary.org. Subscribe or be condemned for your um, freeloading and uh, free writing. Anyway, with me, I'm John Ponhorts, the editor of Con Did I say that? I think I said that. With me, as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute senior fellow, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Look how well-trained I am. <laughs> and the penultimate appearance. Yesterday was the anti-penultimate. Penultimate. Today, the penultimate appearance 
of associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Many people talking about anti-penultimate today. You've Many people. A lot of people. New word. There you Present go. Company um, included. Uh, Noah is uh, Noah is offsite uh, today from his usual perch, and so his uh, he sounds a little different, but uh, but is uh, loaded for bear and full of beans. And here we go. Um, New York Times is reporting that it turns out that uh, the Biden administration now believes that the first balloon was actually going in another direction. And was supposed to be spying on our on our military facilities in Guam, but got blown off course all the way from Guam through from the South Pacific up, up the Pacific, past Hawaii, into Alaska, then takes a nice right turn over the Aleutians, goes over the Yukon, is seen over Billings, Montana. We knew it was there all the time. We thought it was going somewhere else, but they just lost control of it. Okay. Maybe it's true. I would just say, remain skeptical about these stories because I they could have told us that a week ago. Why didn't what's they tell the, us that a week ago? Why? But what's the what's the purpose if if it's false? And I'm I'm you know, I'm I am skeptical. But is the purpose to um, reduce tensions with with Beijing and not accuse them of overtly trying to spy on mainland USA? I, I that would be the only possible way of looking at this, right? Is to say it was supposed to look at Guam and Hawaii, but winds carried it off course to Alaska, Canada, and finally the U.S. mainland. Well, it's, it's also um, it's 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 yeah. just such a weak um sort of maneuver because it's like, yeah, well, we understand you were just trying to spy on us um uh, on states and territories n- not right here. Um, on so. well, they, mean, it, it's going to lay the groundwork, by the way, for for whatever remarks the story these stories that came out this morning are laying the groundwork or softening the ground for whatever Biden is going to choose to say today about the spy balloon. So I agree with it. It might be weak you know milk toast rhetoric now because his his thing is going to be to downplay the seriousness of this as well perhaps and how does that downplay anything i mean there's definitely i agree it doesn't meteorological experts are going to say well the jet stream over the south pacific very so who knows but how is it any better that this independently maneuverable object that was seen quote loitering over parts of canada um was intended to loiter over what we understand to be the first strike targets in a Chinese operation exactly. against the United States. How is that any better? Well, okay, maybe they're not hovering over our, you know, silos in Montana intentionally, but they're we're hovering over the staging areas for an effort to to relieve the pressure on the on the strait. Um, can I just talk to you about the airborne junk theory? This is the second part of of what we're hearing. Um, is like the three things that we shot down. Yeah, we shouldn't. We didn't need to shoot them down. They were up there. They might have been research equipment that ended up like ceasing to function, and it was just airborne trash. And we shot the airborne trash. Okay, so I I now I'm gonna say I'm not an atmospheric scientist, but does something the size of a car that is apparently um like thick enough or to to break up when you shoot it with a with a missile? 
Um, that's just going to stay floating in air forever. Is that how is that how 20,000 feet works? Well, definitely not shoot mathematicians or the, physicists here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, but, but shoot something up in the air and it's like there at 20,000 feet and it just stays there until the and, earth blows up. Not only that, I mean, you, and you don't have to be a, a mathematician or a physicist to know that nothing has changed since these were shot down. What, there's no new information. They have these things haven't been recovered. So what 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 is the new information that that now leads them to believe that these are just a uh, commercial atmospheric junk? I uh, I don't know, and that's what I'm saying. I I understand that things that have independent propulsion systems can stay in orbit let's say or can just sit around you know like can 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 defy there is gravity right like if you're on an airplane and the airplane's engines go out and you're flying at 20,000 feet that plane will fall out of the sky if i am not mistaken it's but John, not a hang glider right I, it but, will fall out of the sky there's this stuff at 20,000 feet and it's just space junk i don't but it's not space right it's but, not space. It's four miles up. I there's something. I, I again. I I really. If you want to disabuse me of this, you can email us at podcast at commentary org and disabuse me of this because I'm just blathering like a call a caller to a talk show. But if it was junk, they could have said it was junk. Like if they know that there's a lot of space junk up there, what are they? What are they shooting missiles at it for? I but don't we understand. Also, but we don't know. They haven't there is still tremendous murkiness around the question of whether or not this is something these were things that were balloon or balloon like or sort of hard structures that that wouldn't float in the skies. Okay. Um we we've now exhausted our our our, our ability to talk ignorantly our balloon about logic complex complex you know aeronautical phenomena so um let's um let's talk about the chinese and 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 us um so uh we're now saying we think they were looking at something else right they were probably looking at guam and hawaii and then and then there was a uh and then things uh blew blew out of uh out of the way um so here is the new york times this morning trying to describe what happened okay uh the fallout from the spy balloon itself continues to escalate tensions between the united states and china even as new revelations around the episode reveal the depths of confusion over it well i don't know if the depths of the depths of confusion should escalate tensions that would be that's an illogical framing of a sentence but American officials discussed those revelations on the condition of anonymity. Chinese officials did nothing about the balloon as it passed over the continental United States for days after senior American diplomats first confronted Chinese officials in private over it. It took almost three days after the public crisis over the balloon erupted for Chinese officials to tell U.S. counterparts that the controllers of the balloon were trying to speed it out of American airspace. 
an apparent effort to diffuse tensions that baffled Biden administration officials and demonstrated how badly Beijing had misread the United States. By that point, the balloon was reaching the coastline. The American public and politicians had expressed fury over it for, over it for days, some criticizing President Biden for not shooting it down immediately, and U.S. officials were intent on getting their hands on it to study its sensors. An F-22 fighter jet shot the balloon down with a single missile hours later on the afternoon of February 4th. Okay. On January 28th, when the balloon approached the Aleutian Islands in American airspace over Alaska in its off-course trajectory, the balloon's self-destruct function did not activate, U.S. officials said. Chinese operators may not have wanted to destroy the balloon. It is also possible that they attempted to trigger the self-destruct mechanism and it failed. So there's this entire story that says the Chinese misread us because they flew a balloon over our military facilities and it either blew off course or it didn't blow off course. And then they either pressed the self-destruct button or they didn't press the self-destruct button. And then they told us a week later that they uh, actually uh, were trying to get it out of U.S. airspace, but then we shot it down anyway. How is any of this helpful to uh, to any account of anything? None of it makes any sense. These are wildly contradictory explanations, and that's fine. But this is a diplomatic crisis because the Chinese flew a balloon. And then it well, no, I mean, it may, not, it may not be especially revelatory because perhaps this is standard and I just simply don't know. But that's the first time I've heard that the thing was armed, that it had an explosive ordinance aboard. You mean a self-destruct function? Whatever you want to make of it. Maybe it's not necessarily the world's largest piece of ordinance, but it is ordinance hovering over a major, you know, American, a series of American sites and American military uh, bases. That's an asset. A potentially offensive asset. I mean, I don't want to get, you know, everyone's gotten silly over all this because of the UFO stuff, but it's like initiate self-destruct sequence. Like now we're in some terrible James Bond movie, <laughs> you know, three minutes and counting. Till, it's you more know, Austin like, Powers than James yeah, Bond. Austin, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the officials have made everyone get silly over this. I mean, yeah. there is no better... you. If you wanted to to steer the public conversation into crazy speculative areas, there's no better way to do it than exactly what they did. Look, the Chinese, the first Chinese step pipeline was a legitimate target. They just didn't act in ways that made any sense interacting with a legitimate target. I want to know why all the other devices that we blew out of the sky were legitimate targets. That's the only question they need to answer. Yeah, but they won't. You know why? Of course they won't. Why? Because we don't get to the bottom of anything ever anymore. <laughs> um, well, I just feel like they're trying very hard. They're trying very hard to get us. That's charitable. To believe. Oh. <laughs> they're trying very hard to get us to believe that um, they're handling this as professionally as they possibly can, given the givens. And they're not, because when a diplomatic crisis continues on for 10, 12 days, and there's massive confusion, and they don't believe what the Chinese are telling them, and we, you know, essentially cancel the Secretary of State's trip as a protest, and on and on and on, um, 
I mean, maybe they're just trying to wear us down. <laughs> you know, you just like uh, it's like that uh, Steve Bannon uh, thing in reverse. It's like flooding the zone with bull, and just like get everybody so confused that we're that we're ne never going to get anywhere. I don't think so, because all of this sounds kind of ingenuous. It's like, well, you know, they thought we now realize that they were actually going to look at over Guam. But, you know, but then it got blown off course. OK, here's the thing. And then maybe they pushed us. Maybe they wanted to self-destruct button. They pushed it, but they didn't. Or maybe they didn't want to push the self-destruct button. Also. If this if, back to the question of why they would now say that this was accidentally um, you, this was blown off off course and accidentally passed over uh, the U.S. Um, where does this leave their claim that the Chinese have done this multiple times in the past? Were those were those also accidental? Yes, uh, much do uh, they know uh, about Guam now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wind shifts, or 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 were those or were those intentional? Like, like you know, it's questions pile up, and the answers are nowhere. And and I don't have high hopes that there's going to be much clarification from Biden. He actually tends to be the worst person to try to put all these pieces together and tell a story to the American people. He was terrible when it came to doing so about Afghanistan. Uh, and the major things that were of concern to Americans at that time, he wouldn't even address. And I think, again, I think we need to hear from him a, a broader context, a 30,000 foot view, if you will, about what what this means and what should we be worried or is this under control? That reassurance is actually part of his job. All right. Um, I want to move on to another foreign policy military story. Um. And in this case, I want to reference an uh, interesting podcast that I listened to yesterday. That's the editors at uh, NOAA's soon-to-be employer, National Review, um, uh, did a podcast in which they discussed uh, Ukraine, America, and Russia. And I was struck by this because um, it was a very um, bizarrely, I would say, pessimistic discussion uh, in which uh, some of the context led by my friend Phil Klein, was, look, this is getting really expensive, and, uh, you know, we, we don't have the money to pay for this, and we don't have the ordinance because we're going to need to replace our ordinance, and the military budget is too big because we're going to have to balance the budget, and there's going to have to be a negotiated settlement at some point, and uh, the, the more that we don't acknowledge that the more maybe the ukrainians have some kind of incentive to keep going when they should maybe start thinking about negotiating and then meanwhile this is all going on and phil is a very responsible person and he's you know he's a serious guy and uh and and not an isolationist um but he's looking at this through a kind of budgetary lens in part and then meanwhile pretty much yesterday all over the place was coming the news that we've been spending three weeks hearing about the Russian, they're coming, the Russians are coming, they're planning for a new offensive and they're, they got bodies coming to the, they're coming and they're coming to that board and they're moving everybody in and they've got drones and they're shooting terrible things and all of this. And the first reports are 
that this new offensive coming almost a year to the day, you know, pretty close to a year to the day that the war first started, which I guess was February 24th, I think, something like that of 2022, is a disaster. They still haven't taken Bakhmut. They're getting bogged down. They're getting picked off by 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 the Ukrainians. And it's like the eternal return. They're exactly the same thing is happening to them that happened a year ago. Noah, please take I sort of remember me. saying this when we were talking about the oncoming offensive. Yeah. Um, is you that did. you can you can only empty the prisons once. If you're going to throw a lot of meat at a meat grinder without armor support, without air support, because Russians don't have air uh, superiority, much less supremacy, supremacy, um, you're going to experience the same problems that you encountered before when assaulting a a fixed position. I mean, this is just Clausewitz. I listened to that podcast, too, and at the risk of my position, I want to take... Uh, some exception to something Phil said is that um, he said that, you know, there's always more Russians. And and it's true that there will always be, there will be a negotiated settlement to this conflict as there's a negotiated settlement to any conflict. It's just the terms upon which they negotiate that's at issue here, which need to be determined on the battlefield. But it's not strictly true that there are always more Russians. Yes, there are 120 some odd, how many millions of Russians, but there aren't an unlimited, fine. There aren't an unlimited number of Russian soldiers. There aren't an unlimited number of Russian conventional capabilities. You can run out. You can lose your capacity to stage an offensive that you understand will have any prospects for success. Let me support that. Let me support that point here, a point made in the Wall Street Journal today. The United Kingdom said Russia has deployed nearly its entire military in Ukraine increasing pressure along the front line in the east of the country, but falling short of a breakthrough. Let's take what that means, okay? Russia is one of the largest countries in the world, even, you know, okay, it's got border, there are, there. it's borders with, I don't know, seven European countries or something like that, and then countries to the south and, and China to the east and it can't move its entire military into one area flooding the zone like this is i mean they also have is, to worry about okay. the chinese like the that's chinese what I'm one of the, the things chinese that the chinese thing. do is they just sort of park themselves in your territory and claim it that's what they've been doing in india yeah and they've been having some actual skirmishes with indian forces because they're just on the wrong side of the border and staying there uh and there's some real concern in moscow and i recall just studying this a long time ago uh, some real concern in Moscow that there could be some some efforts to surreptitiously land grab in the east. Uh, and yeah, you have to reinforce those positions as well. And, and, and fielding a conventional force abroad, con- projecting power, even cross-border, is an exercise. It's an expensive exercise. It's a difficult exercise, quite clearly, as we're watching. It's not the sort of thing you can just do in, per- in perpetuity. So no, it's not strictly true that there are, not, there are no, you know, uh, an, an endless supply of Russians that will keep them fighting forever. Plus, they have resolve issues. What what Ukraine has on its side is the fact that it's defending its territory. They do not have resolve issues insofar as we have access to reliable polls. It's something like nine out of ten or more who will not set who, uh, Ukrainians who would not be satisfied with a peace that sacrifices one inch of land, including occupied Crimea and the Donbass, 
to Russian forces. They have the will to resist. It's an existential conflict for them, quite literally. Their children are being shipped abroad and re-educated. They're being raped and murdered. They're not going to surrender. They're going to keep fighting with or without us. And then the prospect you have to face there if we pair back aid is, yeah, the war will continue without us and it'll be bloodier and it'll be worse and it'll extend probably more into territories closer to the West, at which point you have to worry about our allies. Our allies on the frontier are not going to accept the prospect of a failed state in Ukraine. They will not do it. They'll introduce their own troops with or without us. In fact, we might have to do the same because the prospect of a failed state on the European frontier is unacceptable to us as well. This is a contingency operation wholly in American interests to stave off many, many far worse scenarios. This is the exactly. the optimal scenario insofar as it can be considered optimal. I mean, I, I just think it's a very it's it is very interesting that the the right and I, I'm not accusing Phil Klein of this, but the right is is on the horns of a dilemma. The dilemma is that there is a military action in Ukraine that is about as just as a military action can be. Country goes in un, unprovoked to invade, take over and swallow another country whole is committing daily war crimes and targeting civilians and trying to destroy cities in order to break the resolve of the uh, of the of the people and the country that they're invading there is no moral there is literally no moral ambiguity about whom to support here and what to do the question is what level that support is it is it emotional? Is it you send them a lot of clothes and, you know, charity? Or at what level do you help attempt to retard this, reverse it, save them, and all of that, right? That's So there's no moral ambiguity. And the problem is that the war is being prosecuted by uh, the Biden administration, whom they don't like, they don't trust, and they are, you know, worried about. And they don't want to show that much support for anything that the administration might be doing. And they're in the, on the horns of a dilemma because the ordinary thing for people on the right in a situation like this to do would be to be put would be putting pressure on Biden to do more, saying you're a wimp, you're a wuss, you're 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 like doing this on the cheap. And, you know, what we need to do is go in there and finish this up for them and be America, right? That that That's what you would expect from the cartoonish version of the right that the left sort of thinks that the right is. But, I mean, also, that would generally be the proposition. Instead, you have this weird amalgam of uh, isolationism, sort of just partisan, you know, partisan sneering at, at Biden and all of that. And then... And then you get to sort of like, well, we can't afford it. And and where, what's the end game? And we're having this conversation about the end game as though this is the sum, you know, and that and that we have this gigantic, horrible stalemate going on as in World War One, where you just have two armies in trenches and they're killing millions of each other without even moving a foot. That is not what's going on here. The Ukrainians are retarding a more powerful and larger country and succeeding at it. And why we are having this argument with ourselves when everything that we've invested here is turning out to be paying fruit. Like, and we're not in any, we're not in any danger. We're, we haven't committed troops. We've just given arms and all of that. 
but but there but there's a I have to say there's a lot of mixed messaging even I know we've we've tried to give the Biden administration credit where credit is due with regard to its policies on Ukraine but you know they they just sent Kamala Harris off to the Munich Security Conference she's going to give another big speech she's going to say we support Ukraine she's going to say all the right things but then we have reports in in you know the Washington Post and other outlets that say privately Biden is saying the last bunch of stuff we sent you is it. You got to win with that. We're not giving you any more. So that how is that even? And everyone knows this. I mean, it's not secret that they're kind of saying we're going to cut you off while boasting about how we're supporting Ukraine. That itself is an inconsistent policy that that sends the wrong message to our European allies and certainly to the Ukrainians. It sends exactly the message our adversaries think we're going to do. They they know they can wait right. us out. Right. We are wait outable. Maybe it's a year. Maybe it's twenty years. But we're leaving. At some point, all you got to do is hang tight. Right. I mean, the only the only defense, this is not a defense of Biden. This is a defense of the strategy of the long or the way things have worked. And Fred Kagan talked to us about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast is we keep saying that's it. And then and then and then we change our minds and give more. And again, like what's going on here in the past five or six days says Give them more. It's working. Like, this is not the time to start. This is not the time to start, you know, closing the faucet. Like, not only that, they are breaking, they are going to break. You're talking about resolve, like Putin's resolve. I don't think there's a single person in Russia except, I don't know, whatever public opinion he can garner. And we have an amazing piece coming up in April, in the April issue, which I've, you know, it's a month from now by uh, Gary Saul Morrison about. Uh, the Russian romantic view of war, which is very, very illuminating about how Russians love war and they love, the, you know, the war is their binding glue and all of that. And we misunderstand it because we think about it in our own terms anyway. Abel, but, yet, but not only that, I mean, give them what they need now also, because if American public sentiment continues to turn against this, right. we're not going to be able to give them what they need down the down the line that's worth dwelling on <clears throat> there was an ap poll and ap nrc i think uh poll yesterday showing and they the highlight is that well americans generally support is for this cause is waning it's still majority say we should be doing something to some degree um but it's not as gung-ho as it was in may for example of last year uh, which is to be expected i mean we have it's a part of our character as a as a nation separated by two oceans, sometimes good, sometimes bad, from uh, the old world, that we tire of involvement in these sort of conflicts, no matter what the nature of uh, our interests are. So it's worth considering that that pressure will eventually come to bear on the American political class. You're right, Abe, and we need to invest in that now. But what are we investing right now? You know, a handful of M1 tanks that won't arrive for the battlefield in a year, 20 HIMAR uh, multiple launch rocket systems. I mean, some half track vehicles, some Bradleys. Like we're not exactly depleting America's stockpiles. We have ordnance problems. Yeah, right. We got to we got to refill all the all the bullets and the bombs and the shells. But the platforms, no, we're not we're not we're not depleting America's stockpile of of platforms here. I mean that that that's where this gets into a conundrum where you get. The right now, granted, maybe the right would feel this way if Biden did what I'm about to say, which is Biden should be standing up and saying, We're supporting Ukraine and it's working. And everybody in America should be proud because we are we are we are doing something noble here 
without putting our own people at risk. And, you know, if we can't, we're doing something noble, we're supporting, we're supporting the international, we're not only helping specifically Ukraine, we're supporting the international order. We are deterring future kind actions like this by making clear that we will not stand for them. And um, everything about this is good. Like almost everything about this is good. It's horrible that there's this war going on. Ukraine did not seek it. Ukraine doesn't want it. Ukraine would want it to be over the second that it can be over tomorrow, if it could be over. There, this is not anything that they sought. This is this is a, this is an act of you know of of uh, intolerable aggression. And the things that we are doing are things for which Americans can be proud. No one's saying that. And the Republicans have no incentive to say it because they don't want to give Biden any credit. And Biden doesn't have any incentive to say it because he's got, you know, psychotic lunatics on his left who don't like fighting and don't like war and all of that. And so I don't know. It's we're in a weird situation in which there is no cause for pessimism at this moment. But there's the Democrats have a easier they should have an easier time of this because Republicans don't really understand their base anymore. And they need a presidential election and another figurehead to try to figure out what the party believes. But Democrats don't have that problem. Democrats know exactly how many forces the radical left can bring to bear. They've been defeated. They've been defeated on domestic policy, on their radicalism when it comes to policing posture and and, and racial issues. And in broad terms, they've been defeated on their far, foreign policy preferences by virtue of the Biden presidency's very existence. They have a good idea of how to navigate around this really rather small but loud constituency in ways Republicans don't. So I kind of understand why why Republicans would invite the cognitive dissonance of, oh, we got to shoot down as many balloons as we possibly can as soon as we can and be as confrontational as China as possible. But, oh, maybe not Ukraine because all the wrong people like it. That's that's understandable, even if it's not necessarily a noble instinct. Democrats do not have that problem. If they're being wishy-washy about it, that's just their own insecurity. I know, but we look at it and we say, boy, they've defeated these people and they want to defeat them and they've shown that they can stuff them. But uh, they don't feel that way. They don't feel about them the way we feel feel about them. Like all things being equal, they would like to they would like to be on their side, but practically and politically, it's not wise. Do you disagree with that ideologically? I mean, I'm not sure. I just feel like they still feel like they're more confreres of people like that than they are, you know, Fred Kagan, for example. So maybe, maybe there's affinity, but it's also, I mean, that's that's one motivating factor. But I think they're probably also captured by the online left, which they're terrified of. I mean, this is, yeah, Ron Klein's not there anymore, but he, on a daily basis, demonstrated who his constituents were, and they were all on Twitter. Okay, I want to, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the online left because something we didn't even talk about before we came to air, but I wanted to talk about. Um, is an amazing example of how uh, wokeness is enforced came out yesterday online. And uh, we should talk about it not because because it's it, it it's an interesting object lesson. Uh, a letter uh, uh, nytletter.com or org or something. you can go read it. A letter was drafted attacking the New York Times's editors for publishing three or four things, one by Ross Douthat, one an article by, was it Emily oh, Emily Bazelon. Very re- well-reported piece, yes. Yeah. Various three or four pieces about uh, transgenderism and parents and, uh, and uh, 
all of this. And the article said the New York Times has been captured by the religious, the far right that wants to kill these children. And here and, you know, is 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 now not, you know, basically not an ally, but an enemy of the transgender cause. And, uh, you know, this is terrible. Uh, signed. And there's like 200 names of people. Every one of them, I think, has written one at least one piece for the New York Times. There are a couple of staffers like Dave Itzkoff, who's an entertainment reporter, um, but a bunch of people who are freelancers. And then there's below it another list of people who are just, you know, like people on a list to make the letter look like it has thousands of names on it. Um. There is no transgender cause in the United States that has had this triumph over the last 15 years without the New York Times having become the chief propagandist for transgenderism in the United States. I mean, I can even pinpoint the moment. There was an article in 2006 or 2007 on the cover of the New York Times magazine about transitioning or teenagers transitioning or something. And I remember that I had gone on either Facebook or Twitter, maybe it was a little later than this saying, Oh, great. Now I have to hide the New York times magazine from, you know, in my house from, you know, so that I don't have to have a conversation about this with my kids who were then very young. And the, the wave of hatred that came at me, why wouldn't you want to talk about this? What's the problem with it? What you should talk about it with your children. Why are you doing this to your children? Not talking to them about it. Yeah. Da, 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 da. So I have this very, specific memory so that that was at least 12 13 years ago and maybe longer ago because i don't remember if it was facebook or if it was if it was twitter um and basically day to day to day to day there are five six pieces a week that are largely uncritical and supportive and mainstreaming of this very radical very um, revolutionary change in the way we understand human nature. And for and so they publish a couple of pieces about parents and worries about, you know, parents feeling like their parental rights are being trampled upon or something like that. And maybe some issues about, you know, the medical effects of therapy and all that within it's important within the context of the fact that that far more progressive countries who embrace transgenderism places like sweden places like finland places like even in the uk this was going on have actually pulled back on a lot of the medicalization of this the sort of what they call gender affirming care and i put that in scare quotes because it's a ridiculous orwellian phrase um if if you if gender is on the spectrum why do you need a medical profession to affirm that it's real anyway there's a whole thing about gender affirming care they're using it as a medicalized term when in fact it's just a made-up activist term but these countries have actually looked looked at the evidence particularly with regard to children and things like puberty blockers and the drugs that were being given and said you know what this is dangerous we don't know enough about the long-term risks to the health of these children we're going to stop this we're going to close down even in some cases in the uk the clinics that were doing this work so the most progressive countries have called a halt to a lot of this because of the dangers. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., even raising the issue of potential physical harm to children gets you labeled a transphobe. And even if you're the New York Times now, you're transphobic for not just immediately and uncritically embracing this. But the ground is shifting here, I yes. think, as well. Yes. Um, uh, subtly, but um, it's it's building. You can feel it. You can see it. 
the the detransition movement is becoming larger, more vocal, um, talking about people, young people who um, were, were trans, had surgery, had other medical interventions, um, and were miserable and sick and went back to their born uh, uh, gender and are speaking out against it. Um, people who work at the clinics that do this work uh, are falling off and 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 sort of whistleblowing and saying uh, I, I I can't I can't do it because um, the degree of medical oversight here is almost non-existent uh, and all sorts of claims are being made for the mental health of uh, of of transitioned kids that are not uh, in fact verifiable. So it's going to be a while, but anything that happened so quickly, this 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 uh, in this crazy violent shift in one direction, um, where you had to instantly accept this completely radical paradigm, there is no way that that was not going to get to meet with some serious pushback, and it is. I'll give you another example in the order of battle here when it comes to the online left. <clears throat> The game Hogwarts Legacy, which is a, a video game based on the Harry Potter series, has been the subject of white hot passions among online, <clears throat> very online lefties and people who contribute to, for example, venues that review games and, and whatnot. And it has been a cause celeb with almost no pushback, a uniform opinion that anything that contributes royalties to to J.K. Rowling whose sin is to say that being born with an XY chromosome conveys a series of immutable biological characteristics. That's her crime. Um, and they've been trying to destroy this game. One out of 10, adopting obnoxiously the language of, frankly, of black churches and mimicking it in ways that I think is very offensive. But nevertheless, that's what they do to try to convey, you know, that they're activists. And they've been trying to destroy this game. And, and emotionally blackmailing you, morally blackmailing you, saying that you're essentially part of this problem. You want you want trans people to kill themselves or be killed. It is one of the biggest commercial successes in video gaming history. It's blown yeah. out yes. Elden Ring, which is one of the biggest sellers last year. Uh, it is It is a staggering commercial success. And none of these people are writing down well, I'm I'm against trans people. Or they're saying, well, this game really sticks it to, to trans people in the reviews. It's a good game and they enjoy it. And, and that's all, and they're voting with their wallets. Rowling took to Twitter to say, um, I would be happy to show you my royalty statements, which show absolutely no decline in the continued popularity of the most popular books published in the world in the last almost 30 years. So... She is a billionaire. She is shielded. She is not. And I mean, what's interesting about her is that she um, she got her back up when they well, started also, coming after her. And, and she uses her power to actually and, and that yeah. she is shielded, but she uses it for good. Like she actually reaches out on behalf of others who do not have that kind of money and wealth and security and power and says, you know, I've got your back, which is something yeah. she has no there's no need for her to do that. But she consistently does that. And she does it at great risk to herself because some of these horrible, horrible transgender activists were posting images of her address online and threatening her. I mean, she's had to involve law enforcement to make yeah. sure that her family is safe. I mean, it's gone way beyond anything, any kind of 
activist claim of just wanting to protest something. Yeah, I want to get back to the letter, though, because the question is, why Why did this letter, why Why does this letter exist? NYTletter.com. Why does it exist? It exists because even the slightest expression of heterodoxy on this matter must be met with rhetorical violence in order to scare the crap out of people at the New York Times. And it's going to work because the New York Times it, it issued a statement saying we're proud of our work and we were to cover, you know, we understand that people have and blah, 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 but we're going to continue doing what we do. Well, yeah, they are going to continue doing what they do since 95% of what they do is propagandized for the transgender movement. And 5% was a little different. And you think when somebody comes and says, I got a piece that's going to be really interesting here about uh, thus and such, that some editor is going to go, I don't know, I think maybe let's, uh, you know, let's not do that. But someone wants to come and talk about, a you know, a, a six-year-old, you know, who uh, dresses like a girl and is the Easter plum fairy, a six-year-old boy dre- is the Easter plum fairy uh, at their, at you know, at her, at her uh, nursery school. I'm getting my ages and everything mixed up. There is no Easter plum fairy, right? I'm not, I apologize. It's a bunny. It's generally a bunny. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. But a bunny is fine. There's a anyway, sugar plum fairy. But I'm just saying sugar plum Christmas, fairy is a Christmas, Christmas adjacent. Thing. Yeah, it's like a nut, nutcracker. The nutcracker, okay. yes. Anyway, I'm sorry. But I mean, th- that they'll publish. And that there will be no pushback. Far, far from it. It's like, no, no, look. We're still we're still doing your bidding. <clears throat> and then, you know, anything. It, it's, I think, a very smart. And this is how wokeness works and why it is such a um, clever uh, and frightening act because it doesn't go after us. I keep saying this, like it doesn't go after us. They're going after their own. They go after their own people who then a teeniest bit of doubt or ambiguity in the, in the narrative. Um, and they and they are they are condemned and isolated and you know and forced to defend their uh, departure from 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 the orthodoxy. And it just so happens that their own people are involved in all sorts of areas that shape the culture and that make right. the tastes. And so then it comes to us, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, no, it comes to I'm saying atmospheric. They don't write. They they are trying to present. People like us with fait accomplis, cultural fait accomplis. This is already happening. This is already going down the road. And then when there is pushback, when there is 2021 school board pushback, not on not, not just on race, but on gender and all of that, when this comes up, bubbling up from the um, sort of commonsensical, what is going on here? I don't want to redefine the literal meaning of of humanity. Who are you people? Um, they're all they all they're all surprised. It's far more basic. It's it's parents of girls saying my daughter needs to be able to change her clothes in a locker room without a without a physically intact male yeah. staring at her and and claiming he's a girl. I mean, yeah. or to compete on a team without having to to run against a 
guy who's been through puberty and now claims he's a woman. These are these are deeply unfair things that Americans have zero uh, have come to zero agreement on. We are hashing yeah. this out now. And we have I mean, both sides have some room for compromise, but particularly when it comes to children, the rules are very different. Look, adults, consenting adults should do, as long as they're not actively harming other people, consenting adults should do whatever the heck they want. I mean, I get very libertarian on that, but children are another matter entirely. And on this, when parents have pushed back and just asked questions of their school boards, the, the sports teams, they are immediately labeled transphobic by the activist class, which is whose mouthpiece is the mainstream media and popular culture. That is where that is why I think this became so heated so quickly and why actually this letter is great. It, it reveals entirely that they have no willingness to even have the debate that the normal person wants to have about all of these very contentious issues. Okay, well, that's our show. <laughs> um, Good to end we'll, on a rant. Sorry. We will be, we will be back uh, tomorrow with Noah's last show. So sad. So transitional. So much <laughs> a part of our, so much a part of our, our 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 lives are you know coming and going and journeying and changing and and, and that that is happening even here in uh, these most conservative quarters. So. Uh, for Noah and Abe and Christine of John Pot Horitz, keep the candle burning.